0: Hello and welcome to yet another episode of A wee bit of Everything with your hosts Clark Burrell and Lois Cleland. This week we are adding a different spin on things as we look to further expand the nature of our content by getting a good variety of guests
1: onto the podcast. So what's in store today? This week we're joined by Nick Damis de la Rosa. Nick specialises in endurance coaching and is a gate analyst. He is passionate about working with individuals who think running isn't for them, but maybe they've seen some videos, their friend did a marathon, or they kind of want to try it, but um, they have constant niggles or aren't quite sure on where to begin. Nick is also passionate about the psychological and postural side of running, where he often shares his knowledge on his Instagram account with informative technical breakdowns of how to improve your running technique. On top of this, Nick is also an avid ultra-endurance athlete. His most impressive achievement is winning the Berkeley Marathon in 2013, which is considered to be one of the toughest, if not the toughest running event on the planet. Let me just put this into context for you. The event has been running for over 30 years and there have been fewer than 20 finishers, so that speaks volumes I believe. We will definitely find out more about this in today's episode and we cannot wait. So without further ado, let's get Nick onto the show. Right, Nick, thanks for joining us today to share your expertise in running and coaching with us. We really appreciate your time.
2: Absolutely, yeah. No, really, really looking forward to being here with you guys and stuff. And uh, thank you guys so much for finding me.
1: Yeah, no, we, we've been speaking about it all week. We've been looking forward to it. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll just get started then. So, to kick us off, Nick, could you give us and the listeners a little more background information on your career to date? Can of as a coach and gate analyst, And then, of course, can you touch on your athletic career as an ultra-endurance athlete?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I got started in the coaching realm uh, right around 2015. I was working, uh, living out of my parents' place uh, in Southern California, and I was – at the time listing, uh, listing comic books. Um, so old uh, Marvel comic books and old DC comic books, like the old X-Men comic book and stuff on, on eBay. And I'd been doing that for the past, like two years, um, just selling my, my stepdad owned a comic book store and I was selling his overstock stuff uh, on eBay to, to make ends meet. Um, as I sort of, you know, my, my other life, uh, was a you know professional athlete for innovate and I'd travel, travel uh, around the world doing races and stuff. And, um, but at home was doing comic book listing to make a living. And um, I was uh, wandering around a thrift store um, at the time, or a secondhand store uh, at the time with my uh, future wife, and uh, we were looking for, um, I was on the lookout for uh, Pyrex containers, or little, little glass cooking containers that, you know, sometimes people would dump off at the thrift store, and, you know, uh, you could pick them up at a thrift store for a dollar, but then you could sell them on eBay for $10. And mm-hmm. so I was, I call myself kind of a, you know, it's sort of a, you can make a living off of it, but you're sort yeah, of a, a, a lobster. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was doing that. And then I, I remember just picking up these plastic containers and and just thinking like, do I do I really want to be doing this with my life? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I want to, and, and then, you know, my wife had mentioned coaching and stuff. And then it was sort of in that moment that I was like, all right, fine, mm-hmm. I guess I'll I guess I'll try coaching, um, and I did up until that point. I really hadn't hadn't clicked the dots that you know uh, that, that these experiences that I'd done in some of these events could be of any value, or that I could be any value to 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 other people and to, to be working with other people in this kind of thing. Um, and so it's it's around then in uh, late 2015 that I started a Lucky Thirteen Endurance Coaching, um, named my company, um, named that for being the thirteenth. Barclay finisher, um, 13th person to finish Barclay, 14th finisher uh, as there was a, a guy who's finished the race three times. Um, and uh, so that was in, in 2000, the name of it is, this is named after that for, for having finished the race in 2013. Yeah. Um, Barclay marathons being, uh, we can talk to that later, mm-hmm. um, but it's sort of an infamous race in the United States. Um, and uh, made, made more so uh, infamous by a documentary that came out a little while ago. And, um, yeah, the idea there with the, with the whole, um, with my whole sort of coaching premise, I guess, just from the race background and everything like that, I started to attract and, and I would say my general audience of folks that I attract her. um, you know, I, I, love taking on, uh, people who just recently discovered the sport and stuff. Um, as well, though, I seem to attract a fair bit of, of folks who I would, I would say are risk takers who, who value, who value personal growth, but sort of through the medium of like high risk. So I'm going to take on, you know, Oh, I'm not sure, you know, yeah, I ran that 50 K and it was pretty fun. Um, I'm not going to do a 50 miler cause I, I know I can finish 50 miles. I'm going to do this hundred miler through like Ben Nevis and all this crazy stuff or something like that. And you know, or, uh, what the heck's that race called by you guys? Um, Dragon, uh, dragon's back was was put on yeah. by the same company that does, so, is it a, um, the skyline the Glencoe skyline is one of them it's um i forget what the name it, it's a, it's a stage race uh but it's right. up in scotland and it's just horrid and uh so, so i attract those type of people those type yeah. of people who are like oh yeah i'm gonna do that race with a 10 percent finish rate can you coach me for that nick is it the Cape Rath?
1: Sure. Bar- is
2: it Cape Rath? Yeah, Cape Wrath, yeah,
1: Cape Rath. Cape Rath. Yeah. That was, was interesting. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, is it two hundred and forty miles or something like that? It's yeah. like a yeah,
2: yeah. so, so so remote. That's the kind of person that I end up attracting nice. is the, is, is the yeah, kind of person who we, are like
1: Yeah, we can hey, maybe get can you? We can maybe get Nick to coach us through it if we could take it on with Yeah, I know we've um, we've had a few attempts at some some like ultra endurance challenges and some have been successful. You, you some that's some awesome. yeah, some not so yeah. successful and um I just, I just think it's so fascinating just to see what your body's actually truly capable of. Like, yeah. see if somebody... To tell Absolutely. Me, like, I follow some of these um, ultra runners on Instagram that do, like, 400 milers and stuff like that. And I'm just... These massive trails with, like, minimal sleep. Like, Courtney or people like that. And it's just... Yeah, yeah. obscene, like, the, the kind of endurance these people yeah. put their, their bodies through. But, am might No, it's,
2: it's nuts, man. And so, um, yeah, yeah. I just... Uh, Kinda of, kind of like you guys I just kind of got um I mean I'd, I'd been personally interested in you know these races and, and seeing them kind of like puzzle pieces of all the, oh there's a psychological variable there's a sleep deprivation variable there's a there's a physiological variable and okay I can up my aerobic potential and then okay there's the nutrition variable and you know I'd been piecing that together with myself for like ten years and um so it was pretty cool in, the, in 2015 to then start working with people and, and they would come to me with you know zero nutritional knowledge but they're really strong physically and then you know but they're really uh, you know a mental component where you know they're uh, they're really struggling with self uh, an inner self-critic and a really uh uh poor athletic sense of self you know but but they're but they end up being really strong physically and so then it's like okay how do we balance those pieces to get you through something like cape wrath or whatever it is and so yeah. it's um I, if you like puzzles you like coaching
1: yeah, that's what, that's what it is, isn't it? Not there's not a, a one size fits all for
2: it. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Yeah, there's no. Uh, I mean, you can you can follow a template, but you know that'll that that'll get you to the 50k. It'll get you to the flat 50k. It'll get you through that. You want to get to the weird stuff beyond that, um, or you want to continue doing flat 50ks and get a faster time, you might want to coach just to kind of help uh, whittle through those. Um, yeah the 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 plateaus the psychological reasoning behind you know why are you doing this stuff in the first place and all that so um yeah it's been a been a fascinating journey to get into that so hopefully, and as, hopefully as, i think i answered your question
1: yeah no that's absolutely brilliant a great answer there and has your business been pretty good then is it been pretty steady with yeah well? yeah
2: no it's it's yeah it's it's been pretty steady and everything like that and um yeah um always always you know welcoming welcoming more folks and stuff like that i love working with um worked with quite a few people from the uk and stuff yeah. um and australia and all that and um i love uh getting to work with a diverse diverse crowd a group of people and stuff so yeah
1: did the did this featuring in the, the barclay marathons netflix show did that did people reach out to you Spike up after bit. that yeah. Or did it, yeah. Man, that's yeah that's yeah good
2: um, for you. yeah yeah uh, i got a man it was like uh it was funny too because you know i was just a I, I guess it was, I was in the intro. There was one interview with me in it. And then, and then, uh, and then otherwise, you know, I mentioned at the end as a finisher or whatever it is, but that was actually a year where, you know, obviously I'd, I didn't finish that year. Mm-hmm. Um, I got more, I was one book shy of four laps there and then, um, and then dropped out. And, um, but uh, no, I'd have a, uh, for a while there. Yeah. It was like um, one or two messages a week through Facebook or whatever, just, Oh, I'm so fascinated with the Berkeley marathons. How do I get yeah. into it? How do I do it? Or how do I learn more about this thing and stuff? And, um, yeah. Um, what's it called? Um, no, it was, it, it was, it was cool cause I got to try to, um, really turn that into a conversation of well, what, what fascinates you, uh, about the Barclay marathons, what, Oh, you're really curious about that kind of distance. Um, Oh, well maybe, you know, if you want to try coaching with me, I can, I can, I can help that curiosity or whatever. So it was, they, they were nice, uh, nice lead generations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: um, Nick, can I, Nick can I ask you um see with the Barkley marathon you, and yeah. you're talking about you're talking about the different variables what yeah what variable, what variable was most important for you to finish was it the mental side or the nutrition or what one would you
2: so, pick so Barkley is an interesting one right um I would you know say in terms of reflecting on it the single most powerful variable that I've come to understand. And this is through uh, my name, I get dark here in a second. Um, This is through like, you know, three years of therapy, multiple suicide attempts, um, and some other crap that I've had in the last like three years since sort of getting away from the sport a bit more. Um, I would say the single biggest driver for me was in a, a level of addiction to the sport and finishing And, and, and needing, needing external validation through finishing or winning these events so badly that it was, it was, it was life or death for me. Right. So like, it wasn't just like some silly race that, you know, oh yeah, I could, I really want to try that thing. It's like, no, if I don't finish or win this thing, I'm a worthless piece of crap. And, and, and I deserve to die kind of thing. And it is like a thorough belief in my core that if I don't finish this I am worthless and deserve to die kind of thing. And that is an unhealthy level of obsession, but I would simultaneously say that was the singular most powerful variable in getting me to finish that thing. Because um, that meant well. that like 48 hours into it, you know, when I'm like flipping, seeing deer that aren't there and seeing little black demons dart behind trees and little babies laugh at me in the trees that aren't there and I'm, every stick is turning into a snake kind of thing and I'm hallucinating oh. involved. balls. Um... <laughs> Was that, was that the, 40, the,
0: 48 hours constantly? Well, 48 it was, hours,
2: it was, it was 56 hours total, yeah. How <laughs> much sleep? Yeah. Uh, how much sleep, man, Um, I think I took a 40-minute nap on loop three. And that was it? So, that was it, yeah, that's all you get time for, man. So, I, may you, have passed, I, may, I may have passed out on the ground again somewhere out yeah. there at like 48 hours or something for like 10 minutes, and I'm like, oh, well, you,
0: <laughs> you still finished it? yeah
1: yeah, yeah. that's the main thing <laughs> could you yeah. i know i, I kind of touched on it in the introduction how it's like known as one of the toughest races in the world but could you just give like a kind of brief summary of what it is just for anybody listening so they kind of know what the the Bar- sure. was?
2: yeah yeah um so Barkley marathons uh for anybody listening is a um it, it falls under this class of thing called ultra marathons ultra marathons are you know defined as anything above 26.2 miles um And so Barkley is a um, roughly, you know, if you look online, it's it's a hundred miler. I say that in sort of quotes, um, you know, because realistically, it's anywhere from 120 to 130, depending on how lost you get during the race. Mm. Um, It's held in sort of the backwoods of northeastern Tennessee, um, which is in a part of the United States that's just – uh it's it's not super technical but like i don't know picture like you know if you're fell running hills and stuff like that we're covered in covered in trees basically it's kind of kind of same stuff really really steep terrain and all that um and lots of little um you know 300 meter climbs like back to back to back um kind of thing so um and the race you know similar to fell running um you know doesn't have a specific track or route or anything like that it's um it's it's a the race directors instead put, um, instead of a course marking or the, um, dibbers, um, which you had during dragon's back or whatever you'd have during like a fell race. Um, instead of those, you have, uh, books. So say I'm number like 23, I would run to the top of the mountain where then underneath a, a pile of rocks is a book. And that says something, you know, sadistic, like, um, you, you suck. You're going to die out here is the title of the book. Uh, he finds these in like thrift stores and, um, and then you'll rip out page 23 of that book and then stuff it in your little Ziploc bag and then you'll run to the bottom of the valley and then uh, you know it'll say like, there's no hope is the name of that book. And then you'll, <laughs> you'll rip out that one and that's there's page 23. And and, games. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so um, and uh, you know, there's, there's 10 to 12 of those books depending on the route um, each year. And so you got your pages and then you show them your pages at the end of the loop. And then, uh, then you go the opposite direction and then again, and again, and again, and, um, uh, you know, the, the course is so difficult in the context of there's, uh, there's no trail or anything like that. Um, there's no GPS allowed. Um, he gives you the map the night before the race. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's no, uh, crew or, um, you, you're, you're really just self-supported out there the whole time. Um, and, uh, because of the amount of, ups and downs in the hills and stuff like that, and the self-navigation, the time cutoffs, um, if you're an elite athlete or not an elite athlete or whatever it is, the the time cutoffs end up being really, really close, Um, even if you're like, you know, the the best, even if you're killing Jornet or something like that, you know, uh, he'd still fairly be pretty close to these time cutoffs at the event, which then, you know, we talk about psychological components, ends up screwing a lot of people because they're really close to the time cut off so you have to have a lot of um what uh what you know they they call in therapy is distress tolerance so the ability to tolerate distress aka a stressful time cut off Mm -hmm. the entire time right and so you have to not let that get in the way of your executive functioning of oh yeah left at this birch tree right at this rhododendron um then after i've gone through the road to dendron then there's the beech tree and then the book is under the beech tree Uh, i remember that rather than oh shit the time the time the time the time the time oh i'm lost (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, which happened to me my first two years so yeah crazy race unbelievable so how did you feel after that how did i feel after it like trash man (laughs) Um, (laughs) days no yeah no i mean i felt pretty dang good after um yeah. No, I remember. I, I I ran down and I I let out a little like, uh, sort of a uh, maniacal roar as as I slammed my fist in the yellow gate and I was like, "Ah,
1: <laughs>
2: I finished it." Um and uh, yeah, you know. I mean, I was on a high for for a while there. Um, yeah, and then there's always this. Uh, it's it's interesting though, you know. I mean, I I, I just described earlier. Um, what I was saying was the, uh, that, 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 you know, you were asking for factors of what, what led to my finish there. And I was saying there was that, that life or death sort of need for external validation. And then it's kind of the funny part with that, right. Is like the high of finishing something like this, it'd be, I guess, like somebody Mount Everest or something, you know, it lasts or like winning a good soccer, a good football game or something like that, you know, it lasts, three or four days, maybe a week or something. like. Maybe an article comes out, maybe it's a week, maybe it's two weeks even. And you can oh, milk it out to two weeks, but then it fades back to like your normal life. And eventually, yeah. I'm listing comic books again. <laughs> and, and I've got to love myself. I've got to love the version of myself that lists comic books. And back then, I hated that version of myself. And I loathed that version of myself. And so it was very quickly... You know, within two weeks post race, then sort of I'm in a depression almost, then yeah. looking for the next high, looking for the next fix kind of much, mm-hmm. uh, much like an addict uh, yeah. would. So
1: that's, it yeah. seems like, like that's a common thing in athletes. So, like once they've, they've done their Everest or something, then that's that's a common yeah, thing. That can happen. Like, I listened to a podcast on um, Joe Rogan with Tyson Fury, the boxer, and he. Okay. He experienced like a, he he won it all in terms of boxing pretty much. There was, I think there was only one belt he hadn't won in the heavyweight division. And he had a major depression. He got involved in drugs and he, he actually was driving his Ferrari. He spoke so openly about it. Drove his Ferrari and he was literally planning on just going to kill himself because he was so depressed after. And then he put on like, he was, he was away up at like 19 stone or something and then, he just, it, but he kind of got his head, his head straight, and I guess just fell back in love with the sport. And the process of um, training yeah. and stuff, and why he was doing boxing in the first place, and kind of yeah. it's kind of saved his life. But I think it's just trying to yeah. have a healthy relationship with it, isn't it?
2: Because ultra Dude, running
1: is such an such an extreme sport. Like it is, like oh, yeah. way up, isn't yeah. it? In terms of yeah, what you're putting your body through.
2: Oh, totally. And so it's, so it's yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there as to what, what my life's been like the last, like, you know, three years since since really kind of like, I mean, the last major competitive thing I tried to do was was Dragons back in 2017. And um, what's it called kind of since then, it's it's been exactly like, like Tyson Fury was kind of experiencing there. It's just been a retooling of, okay, well, what do I, you know, apart from the external validation, if no one ever gives a shit because... To be honest, like it's not the Olympics, and even if it is the Olympics, the Olympics only come around four years, and we care about it for the summer, and then we don't care about it mm-hmm. um, and and what I'm doing is is far below the level of the Olympics, yet I've made it up in my head that oh the world cares, and it matters so much if I do whatever stories I tell myself right and um and if I get away from that and I go, you know okay, well, what if I go do you know thirty miles in the mountains and I don't bring a GPS watch, and I do it, and I tell no one. Yeah. What do I value about that? And what do I – do I do, I, do I actually even enjoy that? And it's been a weird question. And it's been like a, whoa. I don't – well, I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I it's, think it's weird, yeah. I, I also um,
1: think we're all guilty to that to some degree, though. Like, we're all totally guilty of it. And it's, that's just hit. Like,
2: yeah.
1: Um, hit home for me there a little bit as well because – I'm guilty of like if I go away somewhere, like if I go and hike up a mountain or something like that, I'll post a photo of it. Or I'm like, why do I need to? Like, I, I genuinely do enjoy it. And I'm like, could I go and do that now? Like, I've got my smartwatch, my Instagram stuff like that. Could I go and do that just now and enjoy it without without all those things? And I think it's just being honest with yourself, isn't it? And yeah. and having a good level of self-awareness, I suppose, which is
2: totally, totally. And 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 so as as a coach, that's really where I try to go with a lot of my, you know, on on the psychological end of things with a lot of my athletes, you know, from, from my own experience now with, with Barkley and my own sort of separation from the sport and rejoining with the sport, I try to get to the, you know, uh, maybe the hook for coming into coaching with me is, Oh yeah, I really want to do a 50 K or Oh, I heard you did Barkley or something like that. Um, you know, Oh, can you, can you train me for this crazy race and, and awesome? Yeah, cool. We're going to do that on the way for that on the way towards that. I want to, if it's comfortable with that athlete, start to dig into, well, what is the root reason if we strip away any of the external, any of the Instagram, any of the Facebook, any of that stuff, Mm -hmm. what is the real reason for why you're interested in a 50K? Is it, you know, that uh, you feel by doing this that you're going to be more worthy? Is it, you know, and then why, why do you feel less worthy? Um, so these are some vulnerable questions and stuff like that that we, that we get down into. But I feel like it's pretty valuable to understand that stuff because then you because then you get down to the real reason of um, you know w- whether you're actually interested in doing that 50k yeah. or 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 not. Um, which is, I
0: suppose, which is I suppose, you get, I suppose it gets you think I suppose it gets you thinking about why you're doing it. And what's the real reason? about Why you get up and do it? Doesn't it? Yeah. Is, is it yeah. The external validation or is it something you're really passionate about? yeah uh, or, totally. or, is it a mix, or is it a mix of both would you say would yeah. you say would you say coaching then has helped part of that fulfillment piece for you or would you say oh, absolutely or would yeah. you say like that doesn't give you as much fulfillment as being an athlete but one's kind of
2: oh it- yeah no that's that's a good question um you know i was i was really looking forward to coming out on this podcast almost almost because you guys found out about me and asked about me more as a coach than as an athlete. And I was like, Oh yes, I'm starting to like, yeah, identify, identify more as a coach, which is cool. Um, and I would say it's, it's, it's different. It's not as, you know, I would say running and, and winning something, you know, being second place at Tour de Giants or whatever in Italy or, um, you know, uh, you know winning Barkley or some other thing is whatever you know those those are big highs you have like yeah. you know there's all people celebrating you new know, articles and podcasts and crap on you or whatever there's all these little accolades that come with it and it's this freaking hard hit high um coaching's a bit more i would say it's a bit more consistent the highs aren't as high um in terms of external validation thing, but it's, it's more consistent and it more consistently aligns with, you know, if I, you know, spit off some of my values, you know, I would say curiosity, constantly learning, um, giving and really helping others, um, are just, just a few of my values. And, and I would say, you know, um, coaching more consistently scratches those values for me in my yep. life and leads to more overall fulfilling life whereas yeah. racing at least for me back in the day was you know highs and lows and highs and lows um so i would i would say that to that question
1: Right. yeah yeah Great answer nick that was um uh, a really good opening to the podcast i really enjoyed that little chat there so yeah we're yes. going to move on to some kind of um coaching related questions i suppose then so as an endurance coach when you give an athlete a training program to follow what are the kind of main aspects of fitness that you, you would gather information on from that athlete before kind of planning that period of training? And yeah, yeah I know, I know you, kind of, you, uh, kind of, you kind of spoke there about the, the psychological side of things, but you're the, you're the first person to, that we've spoke to in terms of coaches to, to speak about that. So that was a really good insight into, and I think that was very that valuable. Cool, but with regards to the physical yeah, side of it, what kind of aspects do you? Yeah,
2: feel? yeah, no, get, get the physical, man. Um, so as a coach, as I'm taking on, taking on someone new, um, so there's a, a ultra running coach out there, uh, by the name of Jason Koop here in the United States. He's been around for a while, um, runs, uh, the endurance division of Carmichael training systems. Uh, he wrote a book where he talked about, um, two, two guiding philosophies that he uses for, uh, sort of building a program for endurance athletes. And I, I, I trend towards his philosophy, um, which is sort of training the weakest uh, aspect of a athlete's, uh, you know, whether it's a, a mile or, a, you know, the, 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 the one kilometer time trial, the five kilometer time trial, the 10 kilometer time trial, and maybe the half marathon time trial. And so in that spectrum of time trials, which one was the, the weakest, even if they're training for a 50K, we'll train the weakest thing first because there's the most area for improvement between now and the, the event itself. And then we're also going to, so we'll go weakest to strongest, and then we'll also go uh, least relevant then to most relevant. So uh, looking at, you know, maybe the person's really, you know, great at the half marathon time trial and they're training, they want to train for a 50K and um, their 1K time is, I, I don't know, it's, you know, whatever it is, there's, there's some room for improvement in it. And so we'll start training that first. Um, and then we'll also, um, train that as well, because that's at least relevant to the actual, uh, 50 K event because it's such a short distance. However, you know, th- there is room to gain. If we do increase their one kilometer time, um, you know, we increase their fitness ceiling, their VO two max a bit. And then if we can increase that, that spills over and increases their anaerobic capacity anaerobic aerobic capacity and stuff. So, um, so in, in, in short there, you know, weakest to strongest, and then least relevant to most relevant will be sort of an overarching paradigm of what I look for. So there's just, you know, there's a bunch of tests you can do in there uh, for that. It's like a mile time trial, 5k time trial, 10k time trial, an aerobic threshold test where you do a mile um, or 75% heart rate. All of those can be done virtually really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's some stuff that I'll look at first, um, at least from a from an objective data standpoint. Um, and then, you know, I've, I have run the gambit on, on having these really, you know, at first, I was just talking with a friend who's a physical therapist yesterday, you know, I, I think in the first year that I started coaching, I had these programs that were pretty complicated and pretty, you know, um, you do this with your heart rate and then this kind of fart like and then this kind of thing and this kind of thing. and and here's a crazy mobility program and stuff and I think that was a facade to cover up for a lack of confidence that I felt Mm -hmm. internally that well I I don't know I'm worthy of being a coach I don't know if I'm worthy of your money um the more confidence I have now the more simple Mm -hmm. things ought to be because you know people are working 35 40 hours a week or 60 hours a week or whatever it is and uh that complicated stuff. Sure, that's great, but but nobody has time for that.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, and uh, so, so long story short, um, I guess what I'm saying with that, and in terms of data collection or working with people, is that I try to present that and gather that in a way. So so I'll gather that that testing data and stuff like that, and then I'll feed it to them in a way where it's just one sentence, simple in the training plan. You know, hey. Uh, Tuesday endurance run at, you know, RPE five to six, uh, for 45 minutes mm-hmm. is what that'll look like in the background. You know, I'm doing all this complicated crap with, uh, you know, that's the wizard of Oz kind of thing, yeah. the little man behind the curtain kind of thing. And, um, th- 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 there's a simple, it's, it's like a, like a Apple product or something, right? It's like a simple product, but it's really freaking complicated, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So, <laughs> um, I don't know if I went tangential to the question there and answered it, but uh, no, no,
1: that was that was, and I guess that can answer my follow up question. and would be how you would gather this information. But you said you kind of gather those was that aerobic thresholds and your know, yeah, you yeah, and, and, and by doing time trials
2: and stuff. Yeah, like exactly. So if I mean, I don't have the um, because like ninety percent of my uh, athletes that I work with and stuff like that, um, you know, are, are virtual around the world and stuff like yeah. that. Um a lot of it, a lot of it's going to be virtual and stuff. You know, if, if they've gone to a physio lab or something like that, and they have VO2 max tests, they have their lactate threshold. Some, yeah. some of my people will have that. Some of them will have a, you know, professional movement analysis by a, a physio or something like that, that I can then interpret and integrate in. Um, again, um, even with those athletes that are able to give me that VO2 max stuff, they're able to give me that physio data. And, and I've got like just swimming in data points for them. Yeah. Um, I still feel as my, my job as the coach is to understand, okay, you want to do this hundred miler awesome that you're gathering all this data and stuff like that. Great. That you're so motivated to do that. We're going to take all that and distill it to its most simple thing. Okay. Basically all this physio data says you have a weak, butt. we need to strengthen your butt and we need you working out five times a week. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the coach's job. Yeah, and as then like figuring out how do you make? Uh, again, I was just talking about with my, my physio friend last night. Was um, it doesn't it doesn't matter the exercise? It doesn't matter the program. It doesn't matter the um, you know I could have the most complicated program or I could have the most basic program. The question is, as a coach, can I connect to the psychological reason that that deep reason as to that, that pain point as to why you're doing that 50k mm-hmm. and can i connect your exercises and your program that you're doing to that and can i make you see the value in that 30 minute daily run as it pertains to the value of you achieving that 50k and and that the, the value of that 50k relative to you know i'm i really really value personal growth in my life and because i really value personal growth i really want to complete this 50k because to me that represents personal growth okay. and so then doing this 30 minute run every single day represents personal growth for me personally and if i if i've made that connection it could be any program it could be any exercise mm-hmm. uh, if that if that makes sense
1: yeah no that was a, a really well um find answer I guess and I like how you really link the kind of physical and the the mental side to it as well that's really interesting yeah it's it's certainly put a different spin on it for for us so that's something to take away from it for sure yeah yeah sorry
0: um
1: as a coach then
0: just another coaching question um for you what what methods do you use then to monitor the training of an athlete that you're working with, maybe stay staying away from the test testing side. So one yep. one like, like have identified their strengths and weakness. They set the goal to run the fifty k. How do you maybe monitor them through their kind of feelings and stuff like that to ensure that they're still on track?
2: Yeah, uh, no, that's a good question. Um, so the way that I would monitor them, um, the primary thing I probably look at throughout the week. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, um, and, you know, if, if I could only get one data point from the person each week, um, strangely, again, it would fall in the psychological side, which is, I would like to know, you know, if if I knew nothing about how many, how much mileage you were doing, how much, um, anything, your heart rate, I didn't know any of that. I'd want to know, how do you, how do you feel? How are you feeling? Mm -hmm. I'm feeling really good still. I'm feeling really fatigued. I'm feeling really like crappy. I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I want to know that because that then allows me to adjust the next week of programming or adjust the next couple days of programming based on, you know, physiological and psychological feelings. Um, And so, uh, you know, I monitor that pretty closely. Um, I'd say, you know, three to four times a week with each individual athlete athlete that I coach, um, often, you know, uh, supplemented then with, with, you know, 30 to 40 minute phone calls with those athletes as well, um, to further discuss out things. Um, but, uh, yeah, from objective standpoint, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty closely monitoring, um, you know, especially if they're a first time, 50 uh, K or first time hundred mile person, um, you know, my, miles per week, um, is, is one of the main metrics that I'm looking at and, and probably yep. tracking you know so seeing if they're hitting um, we work in our weird um, our weird miles over here right so uh, so you know looking at like 40 50 miles a week and how many how many of those weeks have they hit and stuff and um, looking for injuries and decreasing and reacting to injuries and all that stuff so, um, yeah, so
0: sounds, sounds good sounds as if you've you gone into a lot of detail with it um, you, take, you yeah take the, the subjective and the objective that and then make a decision based on
2: exactly right so like they could be hitting for instance like and you want to you want to always make sure to look at that subjective element of it right and that's that's probably why like I, you, you could have an athlete for instance hitting like you know 70 mile a week 70 mile a week 70 mile a week and, and you see like resting heart rate and you see that dropping and stuff like that and that's that's awesome and you see like oh wow you know they started off at a 46 beat per minute resting heart rate, and they drop down to a 38 beat per minute resting heart rate, and oh, their aerobic threshold went from a you know nine thirty minute mile, and now they're running a eight forty five minute mile at the same heart rate, and so they're they're metabolically more efficient and stuff, and they've hit you know six seven mile weeks in a row, but then subjectively on that six week and that fifth week, what you've missed is they've said you know oh man you know I'm going through, you know, a rough patch with my wife right now and, you know, to works just kicking my ass and stuff like that. And then on that seventh week, because you missed that on your fifth and sixth week, now you've got an athlete with, you know, borderline adrenal fatigue and uh, all the sorts of stress symptoms and potential stress fracture, whole body inflammation, um, total psychological burnout who now does nothing. And good luck getting that athlete to complete a, complete a race well, because... You know, we've we've missed or neglected some of that that subjective yeah. data. Um, yeah, so it's coaching's a coaching's fun, man. It's like it's like this. Yeah, it's like this puzzle piece, and everybody, everybody's different, man. Everybody comes in with different little yeah. pieces. So it's a great
0: challenge, isn't it? Try to yeah, piece it all together.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it really is. So,
0: so um, as you'll probably be aware, then there there are many factors that impact um, ultra run performance. So, for example. Mental factors, <laughs> the psychological factors, the physical factor, the social factors, and obviously the emotional factors as well of fear and uh, fear and um, you no, know, just how they're feeling on the day if they're happy or sad, as we were speaking about there. So that's going to have an impact. So with the majority of athletes training, um, a lot of your work's focused on the physical factor, as you spoke about. How important do you feel it is to develop performance levels within the other factors? Then,
2: yeah. Um, so the importance you're asking of developing um, the other aspects, other than just the just just the physiological. Um, yeah. I, I would I would say, um, kind of, like I was saying, and in the, in the last answer there, I, you know, that, that those factors are often much much more important than. Uh, the physiological, I would say, you know, if an athlete, for instance, is isolated and lonely and doing, doing all of these workouts and stuff like that, and they have no social environment, they're coming home to an empty house, they're coming home, you know, they don't even have a dog or anything like that, and, and, and they're quite lonely in all of this, and the one contact they have is, especially during coronavirus or something like that, um, you know, and, and they're quite isolated, um, and there's no celebrating, there's no social element to uh, the sport at all that can certainly have a huge detriment on the flip side of that you know um, so so you know in terms of coaching that that would be a pre- pretty specific thing but I've, I've done that before in the past where I've helped the athlete and I've sort of helped kind of curate and go through like okay well here's some here's some different clubs it looks like that are in your area. Oh, oh, you're yeah. in South Dakota. I know another guy in South Dakota here, here's his name or whatever it is, link up uh, if, if you want to or whatever it is and go for a run. Um, so, you know, that, that kind of stuff's super important. The emotional element of it, um, you know, kind of going back to what I've, what I've been saying kind of throughout here is just that, you know, if you don't, if you neglect to understand the, the root of why you were doing this stuff in the first place, You run the risk of perpetually coming up, whether you win or whether you lose these events, uh, whether you finish or whether you DNF these events. If you don't understand why you're doing them in the first place, at a thorough, deep, uncomfortably vulnerable level, um, you know you you run the risk of this stuff feeling really empty. You run the risk of you know how how when I finished um, Dragon's Back um you know rather than feeling like stoked whoa I'm sixth place or whatever it was you know I was like wow I'm a piece of crap I finished sixth place man I'm like way outside the podium that was a terror why why was I even here and I didn't even I mean I was if I had asked myself like internally and if I understood why I was there why was I was there to get top three that's why I was there I wasn't I wasn't there for anything I wasn't there to unfortunately I wasn't there to I mean, I say, unfortunately, because, you know, Wales was a a gorgeous countryside and stuff like that. And um, it was a really, really fun environment, really fun people and stuff. But, um, you know, uh, I wasn't, at least at that time, there for that. I was there for that top three kind of external validation kind of thingy. And um, yeah, anyways, and understanding that component um, to a a deep level um, completely forms the reason for the physiological forms the reason for complying to a training program, forms the reason for doing the 50k in the first place. So um so my very long answer to your question there uh is, is yes I do train those other components other than 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 the physical and yes they're uh very important if not more important than the physical.
1: Yeah. See see, kinda of with those then do you like would you give your athletes any so, kind of away from that feeling of like external validation and things like that, and more down the lines of the training to complete the race. So, say they are feeling fine, like mentally and stuff like that, but if they are, do you give them any like kind of methods or approaches to help them? So, see, like maybe like visualization or positive self-talk. Do you like because these are yeah. the these are the things that basically the the curriculum that we teach in Scotland for PE. Um, oh, cool. And this is why these are the kind of questions. This is why we ask these sort of questions. So, yeah, we, yeah. We, we kind of go through what's called the cycle of analysis. And the the pupils, yeah. um, they go through, they look at two factors. So, it could be mental, emotional, mental, physical. Um, yeah. so out of the four of them, so they pick two. And then they gather data on it. And then they look at approaches to develop the performance. So, with regards to like the mental factor, if you were looking to mental yeah. anxiety and things like that, it'd be like controlled breathing and. Oh man, I love self talk all that kind of stuff. Do you use any of that yeah. kind of things? Those things oh,
2: dude, are, 100% and that's like yeah. some of my favorite stuff to be getting into, right? Is um is that stuff. So I've got a um I've got a few people, uh one guy comes to mind specifically who, who I'm uh, training uh for in about like 3 weeks. He's got a 100-miler coming up and um this is a guy who came to me with like an extreme amount of just a really uh negative difficult uh, athletic self schema or, or a sense of self as an athlete um you know oh i'm not an athlete oh i'm not a hundred mile or anything like that no there's no way i can finish this i'm such a piece of crap athlete oh man you know i hit a nine minute mile I was so slow kind of thing and um yeah no we, we we've done a lot of work i would say i borrow a lot of the skill work that i like to integrate comes from um the emotional regulation component of dialectical behavioral therapy, um, which is developed by Marsha Linehan over here in the United States. Um, more or less for people with a diagnosis of borderline, uh, uh personality disorder. And, um, so, so I've, I've kind of been borrowing from emotional regulation. Um, but, but these skills in essence are, uh, you know, uh, grounding, breath work, five senses. Um, you know, so going on a going on a run, and okay, here's those thoughts of inadequacy and worthlessness, and you know, oh, you're you're a piece of oh, you'll never finish this. Oh, you're you're abandoning your family for this hour that you're leaving this. You don't deserve this hour, whatever that stuff is, right? But then you know, using your five senses to there's a bird, I hear the bird, mm-hmm. there's the ground. <laughs> I see the,
1: crap.
2: Yeah. oh, <laughs> I smell, I smell the, you know, smells of the decaying <laughs> leaves of fall. Um, yeah. You're a piece of crap. Uh, I see the, um, you know, and then you're grounding yourself, right? And um, so that's one of the techniques I like using a lot. Um, another one, um, what's just that, another. What's, uh, what's,
1: the name, what's the name of that one called? Is that...
2: So that would be five, that's five senses.
1: Five senses, um, love that.
2: Yeah, and then another one that I like a lot is called the uh, three buckets technique, um, which would be, um, and this is just to gain awareness and distance from uh, your emotions. Um, and so when, the reason you would have something like this, right, is, is say you're, you're going along in a race and you're at mile 60 and your ankle starts hurting and your mind starts ruminating on you know, oh, dude, your ankle's hurting, your ankle's hurting, it's going to bust, you're gonna, your Achilles is going to snap, you're going to be walking, you're going to ruin your life, you're going to, and it's starting to spin, right? And what you do is, is you do the three buckets, and you go, you tap your, you tap your left leg, if you notice a feeling. Okay, there's, oh, there's my mind starting to go, oh, that's, that's anxiety, so I'm going to tap my left leg. And then you tap your right leg, if, if there's a thought. Um, so the thought is, um, you know, your Achilles is going to snap. Your Achilles is going to snap. Oh, I've noticed that I've had the thought that my Achilles is going to snap. And I tap my right leg. And then, and then there's the sensation. Oh, my stomach feels really, really kind of like, oh, anxious and jittery and stuff like that. So I notice that my stomach feels kind of weird. So I'm going to tap my stomach. And what you end up doing is going tap, 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 tap. And, and all you're doing is you're just, you're sorting them. You're not, you're not attaching them, attaching to them or anything like that, but you're just sorting your thoughts, feelings, and sensations, right? And what that does is gives you a, gives you a little bit of a gap and lets you then decide with your prefrontal cortex, or your executive brain, am I going to act on that anxiety? Am I going to speed up my pace, in this, At mile 60, is it, is, it, is it valuable to me to speed up my pace now because I'm emotionally experiencing anxiety and because I'm freaking out about, because I have thoughts that are freaking out about an ankle? Or is it more valuable for me to breathe, ground myself, calm, and proceed at the same pace that I have been? but you get to make that executive decision. If you don't acknowledge those thoughts, the danger there, or if you're not aware of those types of thoughts and feelings is that they can take over the driver's seat, right? And then they can, they can then drive you and force you, or, or you'll find yourself, you know, at mile 70 exhausted because for the last 10 miles, you've been running really fast because you've been, you've been freaking out um, kind of thing. So, yeah. Um,
1: interesting
2: that's another that's another technique uh, there's, there's you know there's a big there's, there's a million different mindfulness techniques out there but there's just a couple so valuable though like
1: they're they're ones that fight that i love that five senses one for for running both of them are absolutely yeah. fantastic they are, and yeah. they are they are simple steps that you could actually take that's something that we could literally implement with mm-hmm.
2: you know, that's yeah that's
1: with our classes yeah
2: and um, learn oh, the uh, so. use them use them go for it <laughs> so so um yeah.
0: So, Nick, what one of you, like when you complete all your kind of crazy races, what one do you feel yourself moving towards most of the time? Like to keep yourself focused when it's getting really, really tough and you just want to give up?
2: Yeah, um, man. Um, so, for me nowadays, I would say, man, the number one that I fall back on right now is probably a variant of a skill called check the facts that uh my therapist uh had recommended to me and so this is one that is used to fight troublesome ruminating thoughts like you know I'm 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 running with my wife or something like that and uh, the thought is you know maybe I 'm starting to fall behind or something like that because she's, she's she's wicked fast these days and super talented and, uh, and a great athlete and and uh, so she's maybe pulling the head and i'm like the ruminating thought comes alive that oh' you're, oh you're a bad husband and oh you're a bad athlete and oh you're a bad you know and then and then you say, except for the fact that. I had a successful 10 year long career as an ultra running athlete and I traveled the globe and raced professionally and ran for several companies. And except for the fact that my wife thinks I'm a fabulous husband we owned 11 animals together and we live in a fabulous spot in the United States together and we have a wonderful marriage. And so what you do is you, you give it an except for the fact that, and then you obliterate that ruminating thought with uh, just a, just a wave of positivity yeah, and positive. Yeah. And, um, uh, so that's been pretty effective for me um, to just sort of answer back to those uh, troublesome ruminating thoughts that I that I still tend to. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I expect that I'm always going to have them. It's it's a very uh, it's you know ongoing type uh, thing. Uh, <laughs> it's it's hum- it's a human struggle, exactly. Yeah,
1: absolutely, um, but it's amazing like <clears throat> how many of the pupils or the students like that we teach. Like if they make a mistake or if they're in a sport. Planes an activity in PE that they're not comfortable with, and it's amazing the, the, yeah. kind of, the negativity that comes out of their mouth about how bad they are. Oh, and that's stuff crazy, like that. and, so, know. that's
2: dude, yeah. I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head, like, ah, oh, man. I mean, that and that's working with that is the stuff that gets me like so fired up, like, versus like, versus like, I so I had like an athlete yesterday who I was speaking with, right? And he didn't, he didn't finish his race this, this past weekend, he, he had to drop out at mile 50 because he, he missed the cutoff. And I don't really, I mean, I, I care. Yes. I care if you finish or you don't finish. I, I, I do. But at the same time, I care more in the conversation that I had with him yesterday. I, I've worked with this guy for like two years now. And, and last year, when he, when he didn't finish a race, he was exactly what she said with with the PE kids there, you know, Oh man, I'm such a piece of crap. I can't believe I didn't finish this. I just, you know, and just really, I couldn't even talk to him for a week or two. He was hard to get in contact with. And, um, I called, him, I called him the day after the race and he's like, yeah, you know, I gave it my best and stuff like that. I really tried and I had a fun time out there and oh, I'm just, I'm so excited to go for another race and man, I just love challenging myself. It's so fun to just challenge myself like that. And I was like, dude. Yes. <laughs> yes. You've done it. I don't care if you finish anything ever again. You've yeah. psychologically done it. Good job. Yeah.
1: that's uh, yeah. just enjoying the process, isn't it?
2: Dude i mean that's that's all life is, man. sometimes you finish it, sometimes you don't <laughs> yeah, yes.
1: so can I still looking at the those kind of four factors i was I can imagine I seen on hey, you, yeah. you, this is this is actually what um prompted me to reach out to you to to be on the podcast because again, we can speak about those four factors and what we teach the kids about how it impacts on performance and I noticed on your social media you were hosting like an online call with a community of runners. And that was looking at how emotions such as anxiety, jubilation, fear, and sadness can impact our running and our training. And it's kind of, like I said, it's central to what we teach the, the pupils. So we're kind of interested to hear your views on how these emotions can impact like your running positively or negatively. Like I know you said it kind of links with like the psychological links with postural issues and stuff like that. And could yeah. you maybe talk to us a yeah. little bit about that.
2: Oh, totally. And, um, Yeah, I'm happy to, happy to send you guys that call too. I record them all. Um, But uh, yeah, um, with that specifically, I was looking at um, what's, what's called embodied emotion or the theory of embodied emotion. And uh, in psychology, what that means basically is just like, yeah, when you, when you have anxiety, how does that impact the body's posture and stuff? Right. And so often with, with chronic anxiety or something like that, you're going to get a little bit of forward head lean Um, You're going to get tighter trapezius or tighter neck muscles, your pec muscles and your shoulders are going to kind of round forward and you're protecting sort of the front of your body and you're protecting your vital organs essentially by, by sort of, you know, hunching and moving forward. And that's, that's going to be a more anxious or a more depressed posture per se. Right. And so um, when we then experience those emotions at a heavy level, we'll fall into that posture. Right. And then I was talking about how that can chronically, Uh, you know, so let's say you're chronically in that posture, you're depressed or anxious or whatever it is throughout the day. Um, and then you go to go for your run. Now, as a result of that, what muscles are, are tight, you know, you are looking at tight hamstrings. You're looking at tight, um, calf muscles, tight foot muscles, Achilles issues, plantar fasciitis. Um, and so it was kind of the, the talk was about sort of where the psychological intersects the physiological, um, and, uh, versus, you know, we were watching like us having in the chat, um, folks watching, you know, videos of uh, Usain Bolt or other people like that, you know, finish an event, and, and what you see, you know, there with, with pride and jubilation and happiness is you see this openness in the chest, and you see this arms raised, and everything is just exposed and open um, in terms of the vital organs, and that's much more a sign of positivity and everything um, is is that openness and stuff. So you know, I mean, it does correlate back down to body language and stuff, and. Um yeah, and we were just we were chatting that and we were chatting um you know uh different ways. Let's say during an ultra or something like that, you find yourself feeling anxious, you know that you know, oh my hands are shaken or whatever it is. Um, can you listen to a comedy podcast or something that will make you laugh or something like that? Because if your body starts to mimic, if you start to smile, even you know here during this this podcast and chat with you guys. If I smile here i'm going to start internalizing happiness and calm and everything like that and and that'll actually shift my body from that anxious state by shifting my body into that happy position. I can then shift my inside emotion to a happier state mm-hmm. um, so it's kind of it's like a little highway that can travel both ways is what we were chatting about but yeah yeah, really interesting stuff yeah,
1: that's that's fascinating it's like the two like the two emotions like anger and happiness they can't like coexist either so it's, you're either happier right, right 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 kind of, yeah it just totally takes that away yeah. from that as well but no that's really interesting what you were saying about how you the way that you hunch over and stuff from that anxiety impacts on the, the way that you run ultimately and then I guess that can lead oh, to totally. it, can lead to injuries and stuff like that like you said and uh, oh, absolutely can hinder yeah. your, your, your running performance so can, can that, that I yeah. think that can make you like less efficient when you're running if you're running the race you're super anxious oh,
2: 100% then that can 100% really
1: hinder yeah. your, your efficiency, is your... yeah.
2: Ah. No, hundred percent, man.
1: That's 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 yeah. exactly what we like. Not that exact example, <laughs> but like that's the kind of stuff that we that we kind of speak about, isn't it? It's yeah, definitely how, right. how, how body tension and stuff can limit. For example, if I'm doing badminton and I'm taking, I'm, I'm doing an overhead clear in badminton. If I'm anxious, yeah. and I've got a lot of body tension. I can't get that range of motion that I'm looking for. Totally, man. Like, totally, I can't the yeah. properly. So that's. Uh, a really good insight and that's exactly yeah. what we, we kind of go through how it impacts yeah. you and then how that then impacts on your performance
0: right But I think I think right. even
1: if you even if you've got a niggling injury
0: um, that would impact because you've obviously got that fear in your mind you've, always, you've yeah. also got the anxiety as well that you might not might make this worse so that must be affecting your running as well or any sport so it's always playing the back of your mind you know and how, really, how yeah. and how you're running so it's interesting stuff it's all in the yeah. mind isn't it Oh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: dude, it's all on the mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> final question then. Um, in, your opinion, in, in your opinion, then, what makes a high-quality coach? You've touched on a lot of excellent points there, but what, what can, I, can you sum that up for us? Oh, this? man.
2: Oh, the deep question. Good stuff. Um, <laughs> what makes a high-quality coach? Um, man, I would say the highest-quality coach – is going to be something is going to be someone who has an incredible ability to listen to the athlete to to is 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 willing to ask hard enough questions to to get to the you know deep understanding of of that athlete's uh deepest desires and values of what they what they want out of the sport or what, what they really value in life and can really listen to that person and and not not paint over with you know I, I make the mistake sometimes of
1: you know I'll say oh okay
2: this person is really into curiosity and I'll, I'll paint that value on them because that's what I understand in it but if I can put that crap aside and listen to them and understand through listening oh, okay that person really values this that isn't curiosity that's, something else and then that high level coach can then connect like i was talking like an apple product or something like that can then connect that value in the simplest ways possible that, that then like mr miyagi and and kung uh, and, and um, kung fu kid um you know uh can then um you know, get get that person to start working towards that fifty K goal or start working towards positive self talk or start working towards a positive self self worth and all that can start doing that stuff without the athlete directly knowing that they're doing that, without explicitly overwhelming them with all this detail and all these data points and crap like that, where it's just like, Hey, I want you to squat. Okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Now squat again. Okay. Sure. Uh, It's simple. And it's like creepy simple where you're like, where you as the, you as the athlete, you're like, dude, what the hell am I paying like this much for a coach to tell me to squat for? That's what you should almost be thinking as the athlete. Mm -hmm. But then you finish the whole process and you're like, I guess, I guess, I guess the best coach, and I take this from a, and I'm not there at, at, at this level myself yet either, but the best coach, you know, you want to be someone who, has their own ego completely removed from it, and, and, and so at the end of this whole process, the athlete gets you know finishes the fifty k, finishes the hundred mile, and, and and thinks, oh my gosh, look look what I did, look look what I did, mm-hmm. and and what what they did. You are not even in the process. Yeah. You, you, you don't even you have brought them the whole way and everything like that, but they've self realized self worth of them them themselves. You're outside of all of that equation. You know internally that you helped them, but you don't need the credit. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, that's amazing
2: that kind of that kind of thing so like an apple product that doesn't take credit for itself
1: it sounds like it's it's, (laughs) the value is just listening to them because if you listen then ultimately you're going to meet their needs that's it it? yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah Yeah, i really
0: like that i really like that bit about removing the ego as well putting them at the center of
2: it yeah so I've, I've checked off a couple of these things there, but I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm working on it.
1: But, <laughs> but, but never the finished product.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's a good, great point. Exactly, man. Exactly.
0: Right, so Nick, thanks very much for the, uh, the, quick, the answers there. We're very, very Oh, dude, absolutely, man. Lovely to, own, lovely
2: to man. talk to you guys. It's cool to learn the similarities between the, uh, the Scottish uh, physical education system and the... Um, and sort of some of the coaching stuff that I do it's yeah. uh, super cool Yeah,
0: it sounds as if you would fit really nicely to, to be a PE teacher
1: in Scotland maybe one day <laughs> I'd love it man yeah. well, you, you probably <laughs> could be the way it's going it'll, be, it'll all be on Zoom shortly <laughs> yeah I know right
2: exactly <laughs> yep. Yep. for sure so just
0: just one last thing it's a quick, a quick fire round of three we do this with all the athletes it's just three Let quick questions um, and I think uh, the questions will be right up your street from listening to listen to you in the main part of the podcast so number one if you could have a billboard during those really tough stages of an ultra trail marathon what would it say on it
2: oh man um you know i used to have stuff like uh show no weakness and uh you're you're uh you've always got to beat your yesterday and stuff like that. And like, these like, you know, super hard ass quotes. Um, I think I would have something nowadays that says, uh, it's a Brene Brown quote. Um, but it's, uh, no matter what you do today, no matter what you don't do today, you are still worthy. Um, some something along those lines that lets me know, like, no matter how this event turns out, um, that, uh, it. That, that, that that internally yeah, I still have uh, self-worth um, probably yeah I, I'd hope that clicked at that moment it might make me quit and it might make me just like yeah well I'm mm. still worthy so not. I'm done <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if that does that's alright so yeah. yeah yeah so number two which
0: book or books have had the biggest influence on your life
2: man um I'm bringing over my bookcase right quick. Um, excuse me, Manny. Um Out of my different books that I've really liked, um, Running on Empty by Jonas Webb uh, was a really, really good book. Yeah. That one kind of broke my mind open in terms of just um, how much I had been looking for external validation and how much of my, um, I don't know uh career in running was based on uh external validation everything. Um The Brave Athlete by uh Simon Marshall and Leslie Patterson um was really, really good. Um and so that's a, a book sort of on on sports psychology. Um and then the uh that little one that I read yeah um called the Tao Te Ching, um, which is just a, a series of passages and stuff like that. It's kinda hippie um to read through. But um you know I, I really like the passages in there um that's you know, sort of like Chinese philosophy I guess um and I, I'd say something like prolific like you know like uh what is that book called um uh, the, the meaning of life but I, I still have yet to finish that one by Viktor Frankl I need to finish oh, it yeah.
0: so yeah. um Mans- for
2: yeah man search for meaning exactly exactly so I'm gonna say something like uh, I've really enjoyed the bloody jack series by uh, L.A. Meyer um which is about a girl who became a pirate. So that's just a fiction book. That's a real
0: one, Sylvia. <laughs> there Good <laughs> there you that's, go. That, that's what we always like on the podcast. I, I, I love the yeah. effort
1: to actually go to your bookcase and, and, and yeah. read. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like well, Let's, that's let's see. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that, yeah,
0: that was really authentic. Thanks very much, Nick. Uh, yeah. Lastly, totally. um, what advice would you give to a young teenage athlete who's lo- looking to excel in their sport?
2: Oh uh, shoot. Um, man, um, and they're looking to excel in the sport. What advice do I give them? Um, ah, man, like don't, don't, don't take it too, as a young athlete, right? Like try, try to play and try to have joy and try to not take it too seriously and put too much pressure and crap on yourself for as long as you possibly can if you can do that your whole career awesome you've, you've won you've done it but the less pressure and the less serious you can take yourself and the less i don't know like recall that like in a very polite way that nobody cares and, 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 and i mean that i mean that in a, in a nice way in the fact that like, in, in, in the fact that it's not the end of the world, it's not that serious. Um, yes. You know, your whole school may be watching. Yes. You know, uh, yeah, you made it to, you know, the, the, the pro football league and, you know, um, it's a uh, whatever Manchester United versus uh, versus another team or something like that. And, and you're on that team. Yes. Everybody's watching, but at the same time, um, I don't know, pe- people have other lives and stuff like that. And, and, and have have fun and keep that play and that joy in it. Uh, hold on to that tight. Um, is kind of what I would what I would Always. advise or say. Yeah, I really like that. bit um,
0: love the cares. I, I kind of resonate with that as well. In, 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 a, in, a, in a nice way, it's not like yeah, saying like yeah.
2: nobody cares what you do, but at the same time, it's relieving because internally, that gives
0: the pressure, pressure off. Yeah, internally, you're
2: thinking like, oh my god, this is the end of the world. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, like so. the, it's like the monkey brain comes in. Yeah, man. Starts, yeah, starts dude, you, gotta, of... you gotta shut that limbic brain down you gotta be like no Ugh. <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs>
0: yeah. so, well thanks again for agreeing to come on the, uh, a wee bit of everything tonight uh, Nick, oh, and we're, we're really sure it will help the current teachers across the country and the next generation of student teachers with the knowledge that you've shared with us
2: so thanks very much again absolutely man lovely lovely talking with the both of you and everything like that and uh, yeah it's nice, uh, nice to have a chat with both of you thank you so much for having me on
0: Lewis, Clark, what a podcast! Wow,
1: that was golden, wasn't it? That was amazing. All the
0: way from uh, America to Scotland oh. as well. West Coast,
1: was it the West Coast? I think so. I think it was seven hours. I think it was only 12 o'clock when I came. I might be wrong, but I think it was.
0: Anyway, key takeaway message before you head off and get your your supper? Have I to, have I to choose one?
1: Well, if you can, just for the listeners, like, right, okay. I mean, Nick was amazing there, he, he touched on a lot of of um, a lot of good points with regards to training, the physical side, the mental side, and I, I thought it was just so fascinating how much he put the emphasis on the kind of mental and emotional side of, of a performance, why, why are you doing it with his with his athletes that he coaches, why are they doing it, um, and I think a lot of that comes from his experiences, like he said, he had suicide attempts, he had a really rough time after finishing the Barkley Marathons, and because ultimately the overarching theme of what he was speaking about today in this episode was about external validation. And I think everybody to a certain degree is kind of guilty of that. Trying to, it's as if you're doing it for someone else. And he left it with a kind of great bit of advice is in the nicest way possible, nobody cares what you're doing. Why are you doing it? Is it for personal growth? Is it to, do you, are you interested in finding out how far your body can go physically? Why? What is the overarching reason that you are that you are doing it? And I thought that was just absolutely superb, how much yeah. emphasis that he actually puts on that, and it's so important. Um, I think a lot of people listening could really resonate with that, and it's 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 really about being open and honest, isn't it? Being honest mm-hmm. about why you do things. Why you? I think do, I try what to, uh, you doing? Try, it's
0: try. Definitely try. to work out what's driving you, and like, what do you value? Really, that's where it comes down because that then drives the behaviour. Mm-hmm. So do you value pushing yourself with the limit? Yes, then you're going to do things that put you on the limit. Do you value uh, taking on challenges? If you value that, then you're going to then seek out challenges that push yourself to the limit. So it's just about working out what you value and what what drives you and then your your behaviour will probably follow from that, is what he said. So uh, it was interesting. I think it was a good takeaway
1: message. Um, It gets you thinking about why you're doing things and doing it for yourself. I think it's so big as well and the way how prevalent social media and all that is just now everybody's like posting stories sharing runs just like it's just getting a bit just a bit chaotic i think and it's i it's just something you need to kind of have that open and honest discussion with yourself and say why is it i'm doing this and yeah it's sometimes it's difficult but it's again it's just about raising that level of self-awareness and um the more honest (laughs) you are with yourself then i think the the more longevity you'll have in a sport and ultimately the happier you'll be because you're doing things for, for you and not for, for anybody yeah. else. But I yeah, think was-
0: just maybe be taking, making wee tweaks. Like if you have that deep, as you say, that open and frank conversation with, with yourself, might just be making wee tweaks to what you're doing mm-hmm. no massive changes. Because if you're someone who does value pushing your mind and body, then you're going to, you got to do that to seek out things that, but then that comes out of every, every, every cause is getting affect. so if you're that type of person it's risk, risky then you need to deal with the highs and the lows that come with it yeah, so exactly. you need to be yeah, resilient exactly. enough to deal with that you can't
1: then hide away from the consequences you know yeah that's, that's ultimately what's going to happen isn't it um, yeah so that was my kind of main, main takeaway message from today's episode that was kind of looking at that external validation side of things what about yourself what would yours be um, getting the flights put to the Grand Canyon probably <laughs> <laughs> like laugh get, at. Are We are you laughing Have we got an air corridor is that set up
0: <laughs> First class mate
1: That's
0: it uh, that, that joint account something so first class <laughs> 5 read. or a month we'll pay him
1: <laughs>
0: Nah um... <laughs> Nah my key take your message was in relation to how he, he, he combats like, anxiety and emotions that can end up impacting performance when he's working with athletes or He's trying to control his own mind. Um, As you said, he had some issues over the years with his own mental health. And he spoke about how he doesn't want to let the emotion get in the driving seat all the time, you know, because it can then exhaust you. So if you're doing a 100 mile run, you get to mile 60, you start to feel an angle, you start to feel an injury coming on, then it's valuable to use the strategies like the five senses technique, where you spot a bird or you see, or there's a piece of ground, you feel yourself. Touching the ground, you ground yourself. The so five senses technique and the, the three buckets technique, the, the, those were the two emotional approaches that he spoke about. The three bucket one I'm going to use, when you feel uh, like a thought coming that's thinking about giving up or you're feeling pain, then you tap your right leg. You know, If you feel like an anxious feeling coming on, then you tap your left leg. Um, And then if you feel like you know, the anxiety and the sensation in the gut, you know, you tap your belly, so it's like three buckets tapping constantly. But it just basically takes takes you back to the moment in the moment and gets you in the present moment and gets you focused on what you're doing, why you started it, um, whether it's a hundred mile run or a five k run or anything that you're taking on that's a challenge to you. Then that's a useful approach, and I'm sure anyone listening can. Take it into the national five or higher class as well, and
1: give it a shot. Yeah, I think that's a an easy, practical strategy that can be taken in if you're doing any. Um, if you've gone through those approaches, like control breathing, things like that, those are two easy ones that you can go through with your class. And it's some I didn't, I hadn't even heard of those two. So, um, yeah, I think
0: I will take it in tomorrow.
1: Tap away. Anyway, as always, if you see it on Instagram, that wee bit of everything podcast or on Twitter at Burrell underscore Mr, or Cleland Lewis 94. We're always appreciative if you could give us a wee share or a retweet helping us to get the podcast out there, allowing others to listen as well. Until the next time, we hope you enjoyed that podcast as much as we did, and we also hope you have a great week. Take care.